Hey, Cam, founder of PaySquad here again. Since bootstrapping a simple MVP in November, we've connected with hundreds of customers, added seven merchants ready to integrate, forged a multinational partnership, and are ready to grow our squad with fresh faces and fresh capital. If you're interested in being a part of our journey through investment, strategic help, or heck, even getting into the trenches with us, reach out to me via LinkedIn or head up any of the Dream Big Lads. Let's help people pay together. Hello and welcome to Funny Business. A little bit of funny and a little bit of business. I'm Rob. And I'm Locke. And you got that right for the first time ever. We're going to celebrate. So just a little clap there. Thanks, mate. You've got to celebrate the success sometimes. Hey, we go through celebrating success in this chat because we've got the one, the only Dan Javevsky, the CEO, co-founder, founder, everything. He does pretty much everything at WeMoney. And he's had a business before that and he's got that. That's been acquired. And we get into a lot of different founder discussions and chats and I feel like we asked some good questions. You got your shoulders up around your head, your turtlenecking, oh, and you're trying know. to do the explanation. I'm running out of breath. Yeah, I know. Take, <laughs> take, you take hear it, it on Take a breath, mate. It's thunderstorm asthma season, bro. It's like seriously, there's pollen in the air. Are you, bra- are you blaming asthma for that poor intro? <laughs> <are you? laughs> My mind was ticking. I don't have any notes in front of me. We just had the chat. All I can say is, I want to run through this fucking wall because he made me feel good, Dan. Yeah, hey, if you're new to funny business, this is this is an absolute belter of a chat and uh, there's plenty of gold in there for everyone. So whether you're starting something or you're just interested in learning more about the startup space, get into this episode, bring a notepad and pen and take oh, some notes. Nice professional save there. Enjoy. You're very technical. Very technical. Dan, thank you so much for jumping on the Funny Business Podcast. For those at home listening, tell us who are you, what do you do? Well, great to be here, uh, Love and Rob. Uh, yeah, Dan, founder and CEO of WeMoney. Uh, WeMoney is a social finance rewards platform aimed at helping Gen Z millennials uh, crush it with their money uh, and achieve their life goals and dreams. Uh, my background, very briefly, is um, spent a bit of time in uh, banking and financial services, uh, went on to uh, found uh, a first, first startup called Switch My Line, which was aimed at solving the problems in the mortgage sort of space, uh, spent a bit of time uh, on the other side of the fence and the investing side, uh, and then yeah, founded We Money about uh, four years ago now. So um, time goes quickly, but if I was to summarise my background, um, the the real core focus of my uh, life to date has really just been around this topic of uh, money. Uh, so my background, uh, for those who might not know it, is um, product of two hardworking immigrants who came to this country in the late 80s, um, saw um an early life where parents didn't have much you know the classic story didn't have two brass kangaroos to rub together um you know lived in what you would call almost abject poverty uh for the first sort of 15 years of my life and then saw a an amazing journey my mum who became an entrepreneur uh funny enough a builder taking me and my sister to building sites with um you know big burly blokes with high-vis vests and um that really kind of inspired me to see the transition of what you know entrepreneurship could do to our family uh and also this topic of you know money and financial services which um yeah we we just believe needs to be changed especially for uh this new generation of you know gen z millennials who have a completely different take towards the topic of money than say our parents did and uh that was a big sort of missing um you know opportunity gap that we saw an opportunity to ultimately go and um, you know solve that problem with we money. So, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a background. Locke and I were actually chatting about this before the, uh, this morning before this chat was around how much we feel 
like our parents' generations and how the world has changed a lot from what Australia was, the opportunities that sort of existed, what I guess what you could do with uh, a base wage or a standard job. You know, I mean, like if you were making a sort of median wage, you could have certain options available to you now. And I think for a lot of people, and I come from, my mum's a teacher, dad's a sparky. So the idea of uh, what was available to them and the pathways and the advice that I got was like, hey, go get yourself a university degree. And if you do this, you'll be able to do blah. And I feel Mm. like we're almost, we like to say we're almost like the bridge generation of uh, we grew up with internet and things coming in, colour phones became a thing and like. Yeah, we're playing snake. Yeah, you know, writing still, boobs we, on the calculator. We still got to grow up what, <laughs> what life was like without technology, but anyone in that sort of Gen Z now is like they're a technology first generation, and it's very different from I guess historically over how quickly things have changed. We'd love to get into why do you think it's so so important space, and what do you see the differences of people of this next generation of what I guess others had versus what these guys are now going to experience. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, um, you know, I'll start off with some just stats in terms of what our generation I first put my hands up. You can't see this on, on the Zoom call, but there's a few gray hairs here. I'm a late-stage geriatric millennium, but um, if you have a look at those aged between 18 to, say, 40 years old, and you compare that to X's and boomers, there's never been a bigger generational schism that's existed, not only just in Australia, but globally. Um, and so what do I mean by that? Well, if you think about the rate of home ownership, um, the average age of a first-home buyer now is 37. When you rewind the clock 25 years ago, it was 23. And so um, what's happened is that um, due to you know economic cycles and sort of other factors is that um, young people just simply haven't had the opportunity to, had, to have what their parents had, which was a stable uh, home, roof over your head, you know, an affordable uh, sort of house. And that um, has also been coupled by a couple of other alarming trends that, that we see is that, um, you know, in Australia, um, we're the sixth highest, most indebted country um, per capita, um, according to the OECD. So $2.3 trillion of consumer debt. And if you look at how that consumer debt is distributed, it's disproportionately affecting those people who are who are younger. So the, the data that we see is that, you know, at age 30, you typically have around $28,000 worth of non-mortgage debt. So this is accumulation of things like, you know, credit cards, personal loans, car loans, you know, even things like buy now, pay later. And we've just seen this um, real big challenge for young people where they're trying their best to get ahead, but they can't get ahead because of the way that, um, you know, the cards have been sort of stacked against them from like an economic perspective. And that does a lot of other things to people as well, because if you consider that, if home ownership rates have been pushed out to now, you know, almost 40 years old to buy your first home, what does that do to the other things that you want to achieve in your life? Um, you know, the family creation process, if you want to go down and, you know, have kids, well, bringing a new person into this world and, you know, living with more financial sort of stress, um, you know, it's a big challenge for a lot of people. So, yeah, we just say that there's um, a huge divide, like a cleaving of um, the the younger generation to to what our sort of parents have. And we think that's, you know, a problem certainly worth solving. So, um, yeah, that's that's how we sort of see, see the world and see the data. If we re- rewind back a little bit, can you get us into a bit about your pathway? You mentioned your mum 
doing some stuff on building sites, which I feel like Locke would have absolutely no clue. He doesn't know which. I ha- put the supervisor vest on. I reckon he doesn't or know. Which, he, he wouldn't know which end to hold the hammer. You know what I mean? He's Hang got on, very, I'm pretty handy. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it. He's got you know keyboard I mean? hands. That's yeah, for sure. I'm a great follower. Please, I'm a great follower. <laughs> Take us back, Dan. Like, what was your pathway? What was? Did you, as a kid growing up? Uh, what did you want to do? What did you want to be? Can do you looking back now? Can you believe what it is that you're doing? No, no, absolutely not. I think uh, you know. I think if you sort of look at my life at say maybe the age of sort of seven to ten, um, and sort of projecting into the future to see where I'd be today, I'd, I'd I wouldn't believe like any word from anybody to say that was even remarkably possible. I think um, you know when, when you live in um, you know, sort of severe sort of financial stress, your, your mind is sort of taken with your family, mum and dad, you know, working hard, trying to provide. Um, that sort of affects you at a, at a sort of very young age. And, you know, that's what I saw. Um, you know, a good example of that, and I've shared this story before, is that um, we had a veggie patch in the back garden, not because we were, um, you know, cool and wanted to, you know, eat sort of organic produce, but um, mum and dad had to do that because to save money on, um, you know, grocery bills. And I think that, um, you know, early part of our life was very much sort of forged in this sort of constant, um, you know, feeling of, um, you know, sort of stress around the household when it came to like money and finances. And um, I think if you sort of see the sort of future of those next sort of following steps of sort of my life, it's always been around that topic. And it's only really dawned on me, like in the last sort of court sort of two or three years, where you can connect the dots sort of moving backwards to see, you know, what was that sort of source event of, you know, why um, uh, I went into, you know, study finance and then, you know, work at banks and then, you know, start, um, you know, a, a few few businesses. And I think it all sort of comes from that, is those sort of early sort of formative years of um, of childhood where um, it just had a, such a profound impact on, you know, what I saw as a young sort of person to what I'm doing today. Um, I, I think also as well on the schooling side, um, wasn't great at school um, in the early years. You know, I'd call myself probably, you know, an abject sort of failure in, in primary school um, and uh, pretty much for the most part of, of high school as well. And then life sort of really changed probably around sort of year 10, year 11. Um, had a really big, um, you know, conversation with my granddad who um, came to Australia in the 60s worked super hard. Um, you know, you got to picture this guy, huge, staunch, uh, you know, big sort of Eastern European fella, didn't really speak too much English, um, had two of his fingers chopped off in a gasket um, factory in Sydney um, in the in the 70s, never complained about it at all. And um, he basically had this, you know, real heart-to-heart conversation um, with me around just, you know, the importance of, um, you know, education and not being... Um, you know, like he was, you know, a person that was, you know, essentially, um, you know, illiterate in terms of, you know, couldn't read, couldn't write, but he knew how to work. And I think that, um, you know, sort of combination of those stories from um, sort of early childhood had, you know, made me sort of really think about um, a lot of the things that I'm, you know, doing today and spending spending my time on. Um, I think on the entrepreneurship side, I, I like working for corporates, so working for banks, um, just sort of being in that sort of process of being part of a large sort of machine, I kind of knew very early on that uh, I was always suggesting things on how they could be improved, always thinking about how to do things better, always trying to invent new sort of things. 
And it became sort of very clear, I think, at the end of that very, very short corporate journey that um, my life wasn't sort of destined towards, you know, sitting behind a sort of a desk, but, you know, to going out there and, um, you know, having a crack. And um, that's what I essentially did. Um, sold everything I had, moved into mum's lounge room, and then yeah, started the sort of the first business. Um, and I think I was sort of 23, 24. Didn't have a clue on how it sort of all worked out in the end. But I just knew I had to start sort of somewhere. And that's pretty much been this sort of journey to date is just um, constantly, um, you know, following ideas and opportunities and trying to make the most of them. How important is that, like, positive self-talk and gaining that confidence? You know what I mean? Like, when to take that leap and to do that, like, to have that mindset around, like, things are going to, things might fuck up. Well, they're definitely going to fuck up. How am I going to deal with it, like, moving forward and stuff? Like, how did you gain that mindset or did you always feel like you kind of had that? No, I think um, I think there's always going to be problems, right? It's, it's like <laughs> I think a lot of people who who, who think about um, you know, especially sort of startups, the sort of law or that everything's sort of going up to the right. The reality is is that um, um, that's not what happens. Um, I know that sort of on the on the inside out, sort of looking at businesses every single day, is that um, what you see on the sort of outside to what you see on the inside is two completely remarkable different things. And the way that you know we look at it is that. Um, if you don't have hard problems or challenges, then um, you're probably not working on something that's worth worth working on. Because if it was so easy, it would have already been done. If kind of that makes sense. So I think um, you know we embrace you know difficulties because we know that if you embrace difficulties, that's actually pushing you know you forward, pushing the business forward, pushing everyone forward to you know achieve the the things that are worth achieving. So um, yeah, it's very difficult. Um, You've probably heard this phrase probably a million times in your podcast, but it is chewing glass every single day. Um, but as long as you're moving forward and like showing some progress and contribution to the things that you want to achieve, then that, that I think is you know worth it sort of in the end. So yeah, um, if you break down sort of my day, about 70% of it is putting out fires, right? Um, that's, that's what it is. Um, and I think if anybody sort of tells you any differently, I think they're just probably sort of projecting... Um, what other people, what they want other people to hear, the reality is it's completely, you know, not that. And I think um, all the founders that I talk to, that's the conversation at the pub, you know, of what really happens. And, um, yeah, I think more people should should talk about that more openly because it actually helps people who may want to consider entrepreneurship get a like a more realistic grasp of what it's like to, you know, go through that process. But, um on the opposite end, I think it's also incredibly rewarding because reward is not um, – you don't feel a sense of reward if you if something is easy. You only feel a sense of reward if something is, you know, difficult to, to achieve. And I think that's, um, you know, a mantra that I, that I certainly, uh, you know, live up to uh, and, you know, also part of the sort of the culture here at WeMoney. What about, like, setting goals? I know you love this sort of question, but it's like big picture stuff, like thinking about the – like what what you're building and stuff and how big do you go and how big do you dream with strategizing and stuff like that? I mean, how often do you think about stuff like that? Is that constantly every day where you're just like thinking about shit like that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I, think it, I think it's like um, if you spend, if you spend too much time in the future, you'll never be able to execute in the present. Um but if you spend too much time executing the present, you'll ignore the the big the big opportunity. And so, um, what I've come to, and this is um, again a sort of a more recent sort of revelation, is that um, 
splitting the time between sort of both appropriately. And if I was just to put a rough percentage on it, um, you know, 80, 80% of my time is thinking about the present day today and um, that 80% of time uh, marches towards that 20% of, you know, forward thinking about what the what the future could look like. Um, if I was to sort of describe what that what that 20% is in terms of maybe just the, the opportunity um, and, and the sort of core mission sort of we money um i could talk about the family stuff as well and sort of life in general but i think the the big sort of vision that we have is that um because the problem of managing our money and finances is so big um and that issue with the stuff that we talked about indebtedness the stuff we talked about sort of home ownership if we were to think about how do we ultimately solve that problem for um a lot of young people today is that um thinking about financial literacy and financial wellness, it's not sort of giving people more information around, you know, how do you, um, you know, improve your finances where you have to learn about these very sort of complex topics, you know, what's the interest rate? How do I um, sell sacrifice it to my superannuation fund? The reality is a lot of young people today, like don't want to learn about, you know, those topics and details. They just want to live their life. They want to go and achieve the things they want to. And so one of the, the real big things that we, you know, feel like is a secret hiding in plain sight is that, um to, to optimise your life sort of financially um, is to really put your money on autopilot. And so the big sort of vision that we have here at WeMoney is that um, if we could imagine a world maybe five or seven years from now where essentially your um, pay gets deposited into an account um, and then every single dollar goes automatically to the things that you want to um, you know, achieving your life. So money is routed towards paying off bills, putting money in a savings account, paying off your mortgage, you know, putting money into superannuation without you having, having to think about it. Um, that means that you have more time to spend on the things that are really important for you. So the movie that plays in people's minds at nighttime where their head hits the pillow is that it's not about the um, bank. It's not about, you know, their money. It's about, you know, forward projecting the visions they've got about, that awesome time they'll spend together for the two weeks in December when they take their family out to an international trip and those memories that become sort of forged that last a very long period of time, they won't remember the interest rate they paid on their mortgage. They won't remember the um, 0.01% they're, they're, they're getting on their savings account. They'll remember those things that are much more important to them. And so that's a big sort of opportunity that sort of we see is that if we can, um, you know, automate the way that people can achieve their money goals um, and focus on the things that are more important to them in their life, then that's a big opportunity that's sort of worth pursuing and helping out a lot of people. So um, long way to answer the question, guys. Apologies for that. I'm going to go into those tangents, but I think um, that's how we sort of think about it is that to get to that vision, you've got to incrementally, you know, work towards um, that process. And um, the way that we've broken that, that process down is into um, chapters. So we might essentially have three chapters. We're firmly in the first couple of pages of chapter one at sort of this point. But if you can think about the vision and sort of break that down into more consumable chunks, then you know every single day you're actually working towards turning that page over to ultimately get to that sort of broader vision. So, yeah, that's probably probably the loose sort of methodology that's um, upstairs in terms of how you think about um, you know, goal setting and working towards those goals. Maybe following on for that question, one of the things I love um, asking guests, especially with companies like yourself, is when you do experience like wins on the board and people downloading 
your app and jumping on board, like you've got that adoption, you've got that access of like, hey, things are actually going well here. We've got some growth is like, how do you account for good stuff? I know we talked about like chewing glass and the the things mm-hmm. of like, hey, living in the living in the pain and the problem solving, but how do you plan a plan for when good stuff happens? You know, because like, I'm sure that when more people jump on board and you've got more stuff going on or you get the ability to raise a bunch of money that allow now unlocks new opportunities for what you're doing and where you could take the business. How do you leave room for the wiggle room for new pathways and charting new new opportunities that might come from actually achieving, like flipping that page over that chapter means that, hey, the next page means that we've now unlocked a bunch of stuff that we didn't think was actually possible. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I think I think celebration of um, success is uh, you know critical. I think for you know anybody that you know comes together on, on a sort of startup journey, um, you know, it can't all be you know painful all the time. Otherwise, you know, why would you do it? So there's there's got to be um, you know a sort of good balance of that. I think I think what we've probably realised and what I've probably realised as a founder is um, you get a little bit sort of mature about the sort of company sort of building process. Is that um, it, it's not celebrating um successes um in excess or not um underrating certain successes um because you're you know too focused on sort of solving problems and it's a bit of sort of healthy balance there i think as um if i rewind the clock as a first time founder on both sides of that equation is that um you probably commiserate the losses a lot more deeply <laughs> than you probably should um but also you overweight the successes probably a little bit too much when you're super excited about something that's sort of recently been achieved. So I think the thing that I've learned a lot more is to find, you know, genuine things to celebrate about. Um, and the things that we celebrate about at WeMoney that uh, are really important to us is uh, when we uncover, you know, our members that achieve some of those goals that they've got. Um, so the thing that we measure, we've got a, um, a Slack channel called Member Love, which is, um, looking at our members and some of the things they've achieved. So people getting out of debt quicker or achieving their savings goals or, you know, buying their sort of first home. That's incredible. Um, then on the business side, um, the thing that I really love the most that I that I see, you know, successes in, you know, downloads and raising money. I mean, that's sort of one part, but I think the other part, which um, I, I sort of overweight a lot more is, um, overweighting the team's success or individual, you know, people that progress within the organization to see what they've achieved. Um, to give you a good example of that, um, you know, sharing uh, one of our engineers, um, Dave, who started off as an intern, literally, you know, almost a first time sort of developer. Um, and he's been with us since the start of the journey. And now he leads our product engineering uh, function. So responsible for like product and sort of analytics and, you know, manage the team sort of four people. So um, seeing his growth and development sort of blossom with sort of wee money um, is is amazing. And that's where I personally get a lot of satisfaction of is seeing those people that, you know, took a bet on, you know, joining wee money, but also have a chance now to sort of flourish into, um, you know, their careers, which kind of accelerates their development. If they were put into another organisation or another Petri dish, right, say at a, at a big corporate, they would have never been able to, you know, either have that opportunity. So I think um, that's a thing that that I sort of really love the most in terms of success is seeing everyone's own sort of personal journeys within um, sort of we money in terms of the things that are able to achieve. That's that's awesome. Of course, we celebrate all the other stuff, you know, all the other sort of milestones. But if I think about like the things that 
bring the most amount of reward in terms of progress. It's it's things like that. I found the companies that really champion the people the most are the best ones, you know, the ones that make them feel seen and feel appreciated. Like you work so hard all, all this year, like to make it make you feel seen, like your work's got a bit of recognition. You I know? think it's one of those things too, the thing that we've experienced from some of our chats and people that listen to the pod or people in our like wider network, I guess previously the idea of going to get a safe corporate career and being in a, in a role for an extended period of time, maybe like trusting the process a little bit from a personal development point of view that other people have your best interests at heart and that you can just sort of work your way up. But there's been so many changes now with waves of redundancies and um, I, I just, I, I guess other opportunities that are coming through where people really understand the value of like that hyper accelerated career opportunities by working in startups and like getting access to learning new skills and extra responsibility or taking on new challenges that they might not have got in a, in a different career path, I feel like that's also a cool thing. Hey, oh, one thousand percent. I think if you're gonna, if you if you think about it in your twenties, and I'm sure a majority of your listeners are probably sort of in that age group. Like if you've just graduated uni or high school today, and, and sort of you're looking forward, I think when I was younger, and I'm sure you guys probably experienced this as well, is that getting the safe sort of corporate job was the thing to do, and your parents would have like inculcated that into your brain, like go get a job and you know be safe and secure and all that type of stuff. But if you sort of rewind a clock and you kind of think to yourself, well, you've only got your youth once. And if you're sitting there at sort of 20 years of age and you're going to provide the next five years of your life towards an opportunity that um, can help incrementally, and I mean incrementally sort of change the outcome of the organisation that you're working at. Because at the end of the day, if it's not you, it's going to be somebody else. And I really feel strongly that um, if you do have that opportunity, that willingness to go and have a go at a you know early stage business. Doesn't matter if you start off as an intern, you're going to see um, essentially twenty years of um, um, of a career in the space of three years, and your opportunity to uh, you know make a contribution and impact and take on more responsibility um, will be given to you. You know the story of Dave is just one. Um, there's other people in the organisation um, like a, a guy. That works here um, called Bat, who essentially um, you know left his sort of corporate sort of role at um, twenty sort of five years, and now he manages you know a multi billion dollar um, PNL. Um, would he be able to have that opportunity if he worked at a large sort of corporate organisation? No, probably not, because there's a pecking order. You've got to do your time, prove it out, wait for you know middle management to sort of go off and get promoted to have your turn. And I just think that why go through that process? Um, if, if there was a sort of a message that I've got to um, people that are at the precipice of just deciding what to do after um, you know uni or high school, um, go try something yourself um, because you will learn a lot more and you will achieve your goals a lot faster in life than um, having to wait it out in a safe period. And the best thing is, if it doesn't work out, which you know let's be real, <laughs> most of those opportunities don't work out. <laughs> it doesn't matter because those lessons, even from failure or success. Um, again, to help out so much in you know a lot of part of your life. What about you as a as a founder? Maybe like how you've changed from your your first your first startup switch my loan to now um, doing what you're doing, but also being a dad and juggling family life on top of the other, I guess, different life circumstances. Can you go into a little bit about maybe like how you've changed as a founder and how you think about what what it means to be a founder now? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, so I think. 
if I sort of rewind the clock to the to the first sort of entrepreneurial journey, I, like, I had no idea what I was doing. I was, um, you know, 23, 24, 2012. So you got to think about the internet sort of back then. Um, it wasn't as sort of vibrant as it was today. There was no sort of concept of, you know, um, the sophistication that's around sort of building a startup now because at the end of the day, like if you just go look, you know, for two hours on um, on the internet today, you will find essentially all the frameworks that you need to sort of start a business. It's like quite all open sourced. Back then, there was none of that. So it was sort of learning a lot of that stuff at the very first time. Um, the things that we thought, you know, were important um, or that I thought was important back then, um, you know, not important today. Um, so, um, you know, a good example of that is just a really sort of weird story. But, you know, I thought um, all startup founders needed to have, you know, an Apple um, you know, Mac with an Apple sort of monitor and you had to look like the prototypical, um, you know, sort of startup sort of business. And I just remember sort of sitting there sort of being back 2013, 14, um, like searching on Gumtree for like, you know, a big 27-inch, you know, Mac monitor thinking, what am I doing with myself? How the hell is a monitor going to help sort of accelerate the business? Um, and so that's probably just a very sort of small example of that stuff is that you see a lot of startup law um that you think is applicable that will sort of move the needle forward, um, but doesn't. Um, the other is like fundraising. People think that, you know, fundraising is, um, you know, a celebration. We think it's a celebration to a degree, but it's more important what you do with the resources that you've been, um, you know, given by other people to, um, you know, help accelerate your sort of vision. So, um, you know, those things change, sort of lionizing the things that are important to the things that really are. The things that are really important is, um, making sure that the people that you serve are successful and if they're successful then you'll become successful and i think that's where i sort of overweighted my time now so frivolous things as a sort of first time founder that's sort of out of the mind now don't even think twice about that it's where does where is core value created and core value is created when you fundamentally solve a problem for somebody else uh in a differentiated way and that's um the biggest sort of lesson that i've sort of taken away now is that you've got to push away the irrelevant things and just focus on the things that are really important. And and I'm much more at pace at that now. And you're also over in, in WA, which for us, uh, we mentioned just before we hit record, we haven't had too many people on the pod from WA. We'd love to get into maybe the the, the good stuff and the challenges that comes with scaling a startup from, from over, over the, that side of Australia. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's a lot of challenges, but also a lot of opportunities. I think if I'm like brutally honest about it, I think um, you know I spend probably um, five or six days every single quarter in Melbourne, Sydney, um, sort of flying over. Um, when I come to Melbourne, Sydney, um, a lot of people don't know I'm from WA because I see them so frequently. They say, "Oh, whereabouts do you live?" And I say, "Oh, yeah, I live in." in Perth oh what <laughs> like you've come over all this way and it's like the third time I've met, you know met this person so I think um look the challenges are is that we're probably less connected to um you know the ecosystem you know less of a you know a profile maybe from like an investor sort of point of view in terms of um what we're um what we're doing um on the other side of Australia but I think there's other advantages as well um because we don't sort of get caught up with, you know, what's going on every single day with, you know, different sort of things and whatever else. Um, have you guys been to Perth, by the way? 
I have, yeah. Have you? Yeah. I had a layover flight and I thought the airport was awesome. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> count. <laughs> My dad said it's the favorite place he's ever been to. So I'm like, I've got to go, you know. I've got to go. Yeah, Hot weather, yeah. beach is crazy. It looks good. I've been a few times. Yeah. I always play footy in Perth. Yeah, he used, to, he used to like putting the sunscreen on and going out there, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, happy days, happy days. Anyway, it's not about you. Totally, no, totally. it's not about me. It's about Dan. Yeah. Yeah, it's about <laughs> um, But I think, yeah, like in terms of the benefits, um, you know, the countless, I think, you know, great environment, um, especially as a when you've got a family, like taking your kids to school, no traffic. Um, Perth, by the way, has, has got one sort of major sort of highway that goes about sort of 70 k's um, north to south. Um, we've got a cute little CBD with a few buildings in there and everywhere is like 15, 20 minutes away. So I think quality of life is like super important. So when you sort of balance that off, where would I rather be? Um, I have no desire to live in Sydney or Melbourne. I think that is, um, you know, uh, something that probably in your sort of early 20s, you want to go with the opportunities. But um, when you're a, when you're a, when you've got a family and um, you want to have a really sort of high quality of life, if you sort of weigh up the sort of pros and cons, um, you know, Perth is just, you know, incredible, um, an opportunity to sort of have that sort of peace, mind and clarity to, um, you know, build a business. Um, and there's a lot of people that have built amazing businesses, um, you know, in Perth. Um, we'd like to claim sort of Mel, Mel Perkins. I know she was here for a hot minute before um, before sort of Canva, but, you know, there's other companies like Health Engine. Um, so it's, it's a really burgeoning um, tech scene than what it was, uh, sort of 10 years ago. Like, is it Sydney, Melbourne levels? No, it's not. But it is getting there. It's becoming more mature. But the quality of life is just incredible. So, yeah, firmly staying in, in WA um, at, at this point. <laughs> I think it'd be cool, bro, because I feel like you go to Melbourne, Sydney, get your fix of that stuff that you, you can go in and plug in and then you can sort of plug out. It's a good, like, juxtaposition. We feel yeah. that a little bit. Like, we're obviously down. We're not in Melbourne. We're down um, Torquay Way, Gradation Road. So, like, for Great us. space. You know, we like coming yeah. to Australia. So we grew up in Melbourne. So like moving out, yeah. one of the reasons we moved out, I moved down here is because my wife and I wanted to have uh, a family and grow up with a bit more of a, more of a coastal life, so we can have that quality of life. That I don't like think. shells all day, like shells. Fuck. <laughs> so it doesn't have like uh, I don't think that the same the same lifestyle. I grew up in Melbourne city and and are in that sort of suburbia again. Like if we go back to the start of the chat about why we money exists, it's not the same opportunities. Don't like. I couldn't think about, I couldn't afford a house in inner city Melbourne to go and raise a kid and say, all right, cool, we'll just go and live here. You know, like the same mm. opportunities don't exist, but like being somewhere over, I'm sure that like you're living the dream over there. Like the fact that you do have that separation, that quality of life and and being able to still build something so cool, that's such a cool balance. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, definitely, definitely is. And um, yeah, I think, um I think more people are coming in. I think we've had like a record number of like net migration into sort of WA and, you know, more people sort of say that because uh, if you want to go buy a property in, say, Sydney um, and spend a million bucks to live in a 50 square metre apartment, sort of a five car rate of the city, you know, versus um, having a more affordable sort of housing situation in terms of having less stress around your sort of mortgage. I think there's a lot, a lot more people are waking up to that. It's not just Perth. More people are moving to, you know, regional parts of Queensland, regional parts of Victoria, New South Wales to um, to find that balance. So, um, yeah, I think it's a big trend. Have you had any, like, moments of doubt throughout your journey? Is it something that comes up all the time or not at all? Or when, you, when you're building out this thing, do you ever think, like, sometimes, fuck, is this the right way to go or am I doing the right thing? Are there any sort of moments like that? 
Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think there's um, moments, you know, all the time. I think, um, you know, are you going to say to live another day? Number one, like existential sort of stuff um, around sort of startup building, um, and I think there's other you know components as well around, um, you know, strategically. If um, how do you win in in this sort of space? Um, and how do you really create something of significance, you know, over time? And, um, you know, we, we have some doubts about that from time to time, and especially sort of earlier on, because in our particular category is, you know, a graveyard, um, about 95% of uh, what you would call the PFM or personal financial managers um, don't end up getting anywhere because of some core sort of fundamental reasons. So, um, you know, the odds are stacked against you in terms of um, creating something that um, you know can have an impact, um, and so yeah, I think I think over over time it gets a little bit sort of easier to manage doubts um, if you see sort of progress. And I think the real big epiphany that we've had, and it's only really recently, is that we always always were so hard on ourselves in terms of um, what are our metrics and stats like compared to our peers. What is um, um, you know, what's our particular sort of market share in this particular category or whatever. And I think, you know, over time, as you talk to more and more people, um, you kind of realise that over over the last sort of year and a half, more people are coming to, like, ask to ask us our advice as opposed to us sort of really thinking that these guys were the pinnacle. You know when you meet your heroes and um, you kind of say, well, this person is actually just a normal everyday person just like me. And so I think that's sort of given us a little bit more sort of confidence that, you know, maybe we're doing something here that's sort of really unique um, that sort of casts away some of those doubts and dispersions that we had sort of very early on. Um, but really interestingly enough, if we didn't have those doubts and dispersions, we probably wouldn't have sort of tried and been sort of hardened ourselves to focus on the things that are really important, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. Hey, probably a good segue yeah. too is a question we ask all our guests is a bit of a mental health one. So what do you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Uh, the big thing that I've uh, got into the last sort of two to three years, I know it's really sort of trite, but um, if you think about um, any sort of founder that's got a family, you know, how can you spend your time? Um, you've only really got sort of two two sort of big things. It's, you know, you, maybe your first or second baby, which is your startup, and then your family life at home. And so I'm very conscious about that um, in terms of finding that, you know, good balance between um, the investment in not only your time at work, but also your time um, with with family um, and uh, you know hiking has been one of those huge big sort of releases that um, I've managed to um, sort of relieve a lot of the um, you know stresses that sort of get built up from the day to day week to week um, and like uh, I'll give you an example um, the Weedman engineering team came to Perth uh, about a month ago uh, they were here for two weeks and. We could have done any type of like work event, you know, go to the pub and you know have your chicken parmy and have a beer at the end of the day. Um, but we, what we decided to do was go on a you know big three and a half hour sort of hike. Um, and what that does is it um, allowed the whole team to really kind of relax, sort of be themselves, you know, banter a little bit, be out in nature, you know, worked up a sweat. Um, you know, I thought the engineers sort of might might sort of struggle. Um, you know, going up some of those sort of hills, given that they're like all deskbound, but they 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 actually crushed it. And so I think um, being in nature, um, 
zoning out and being with um, people that you really care about is um, sort of my big sort of place in terms of um, sort of de-stressing and clearing the mind out of you know all the 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 defrag on the on the computer um, upstairs. So yeah, that's 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 it for me. I love hiking. Hiking's so good. I feel like the reward's just the view at the end of it, isn't it? When you're just looking out and you're going, fuck, I'm on top of this big fucking mountain. And, you know. Locke's a massive walker. Like when he, he's out doing his daily walk, he goes and he does. He has his he does his big headphones on. So we used to live together, Dan, and a couple of times he come sure. home after a big, uh, it was a really hot day and he's got his bald melon out and he had the, um, he had the big <laughs> overhead earphones like you had. And we always laugh because Tal's his partner. He come home one day and he he obviously hadn't sunscreened his melon up, and he had the biggest oh. like he took his he took his headphones off and our headphones on for about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't get rid of them. Oh, it was the best. But walking like nature and just looking at stuff like I don't know. For me, it's the same thing, bro. It's like just plugging out, you know. And it's just mm. like because like I feel like when you're living on your computer, you're in video calls, you're in meetings. Like we feel the same thing. It's like. Having a cold shower, it's just a trigger of like, you can't really think, it's just fucking cold, mm. you know? So it's like, Correct. how do you just like get out and just like break the circuit, you know? 100%. I really believe that. And I think, I think you got the thing that I've realized is that um, you can keep going. Like, if you, as, as founders, we always have this sort of fear that if you don't do enough, you're not going to move the ball forward and you're not going to sort of get to the next step. But there comes a time where essentially um, the more you keep doing that, the less likely you're going to be productive the following, you know, hour, day, month. And so the thing that I've sort of really realized now is that when you're approaching those sort of moments, you need to go to those activities because when you're in the deepest, darkest pits of hell in sort of startup life, which, um, you know, can happen sort of more frequently than not, especially is that if you don't spend that time to take yourself out of the environment to have that clear thought, um, you can sort of further sort of devolve sort of downwards. And so I've become really mindful as soon as I'm feeling like, um, I'm not getting to where I want to, you know, get to, um, you know, upstairs, just get out. Lucky, lucky on, I, I, I live by a sort of river and a creek. So I just head out 30 minutes, clear the mind and then sort of come back. And the, the big unlock is that you come with a new, fresh sort of perspective about something that you probably just thought about while you're, you know, outside that you would never have thought about like being in front of a computer. So, um, yeah, I think it's a big unlock. What about what about uh, like keeping up to date with trends? I feel like there's a lot of stuff that, or like AI is a massive topic at the moment. Of the, we feel like it's pretty crazy. There's always like something new every day. That do you have a process around like learning and keeping up to date from a technology point of view, or what's coming out there? Yeah, I think um, if you look at my phone or the screen time where the where the time is invested in terms of like keeping up with um, with stuff, um, YouTube. You know, YouTube Premium, no ads. Um, you know, I think my sort of algo now has been pretty sort of optimised between like, you know, figuring out the frontier of, you know, what's happening in like, you know, AI product and things like that. Um, you know, massive consumer of um, high quality podcasts. Um, there's a guy that I really love called Ben Thompson from Stratechery, which is a really good strategic thinker um, around sort of core business um, concepts um, Farnham Street, um, which kind of goes into more sort of founder sort of led journeys and how they sort of got there. Um, and a guy that I think you guys will probably know about who's absolutely crushing it, Harry Stebbings um, from 20VC. And um, he's just the real deal in terms of how he just talks about that general 
um, sort of startup life, authentic, getting rid of all the BS and just focusing on things that are really important. So I'll try to get a sort of good diet of sort of startup stuff. And then I think also um, sort of Twitter X is that um, if you look at some of the um, you know, content on Twitter X, especially around, you know, AI or product or you know, any other sort of forward topics, you get real good sort of hot takes and good conversations and deep threads. And it's not your traditional well-crafted 20-minute YouTube video. It's short, sharp, heterodox thinking about something that challenges your thinking. So I think they're probably the sort of two sort of major sort of outlets between sort of YouTube podcasts and then sort of Twitter to keep up to date with trends. Um, and... Yeah, it kind of keeps you fresh, keeps you thinking like on your feet in terms of, you know, how can I, you know, copy paste that idea that's, you know, super awesome or, you know, think about something in a different way. Um, yeah. Well, man, we're, we're a month away from uh, the end of the year, which is pretty crazy to say. What are you excited about for the rest of the year and what can we expect to see the start of next? Well, um, the really interesting thing about um, being in uh, financial services or financial bonus is that, um January is the biggest month in terms of uh, people setting new resolutions about money. And so what we've realised now is that um, we're sort of gearing up um, as a sort of a leave freeze because January is our biggest month in terms of um, people and opportunities for uh, people having an awakening about money and financial services. So uh, we kind of go until like January the 15th and then people can... Um, sort of take a bit of breather off. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty committed to to making sure that um, we can help out as many people as we can this year. But um, outside of that, with the Chrissy sort of New Year's break, um, home time with the family, um, I generally play one video game a year, sort of from start to to finish. Um, last year was Last of Us, which was like a three day escapade, <laughs> start to finish. Um, and this year, it's going to be Metal Gear Solid. Uh, the Master Volume Collection 1, 2, and 3. Um, and we'll just see um, when, the, when the wife gets irritated after seeing me plastered in front of a screen for, for two days. But that's my sort of general outlet towards the end of the year. Oh, you're speaking Rob's language, aren't you? Love that, mate. I, my, um, <laughs> one of my first jobs after getting the flick from footy, I worked at EB Games. So I used to do the releases oh. and that. So wore, wore yeah. the school shoes and the, and the school pants and that and did the sole video games. So Love, love, oh, love yeah, that. this is your world, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for jumping on and letting us pick your brain. Uh, unreal. If people are interested in learning more and finding out uh, about yourself or about women, how can they search it and find the right information? Yeah, well, if anybody's interested in learning more about the money, the finances, uh, yeah, feel free to go to either the uh, app store or the play store and uh, type in We Money, and you can download the app and uh, you know, check it out, and hopefully. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to uh, improve your financial um, outcome in life. Um, but um, where I spend a majority of my time is LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to just um, put my name into LinkedIn, see me there. That's where I, I probably dwell probably more than I probably should. <laughs> but yeah, love love LinkedIn and love um, seeing what everyone's up to. And um, yeah, love, love seeing the updates in the, in the startup community. So that's where you can find me and um my team jokes if you send me a dm on linkedin i'm probably i'll probably respond faster than some of my slack messages so um yeah that's that's where that's where people can find me love that brother thank you so much that was a frog right there wasn't it yes yeah, an awkward way to end the conversation <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you've, if you've been listening to Funny Business and this is the, even if it's the first or the second episode that you've actually listened to and you haven't sent it to a friend yet, I feel offended. Look at you just getting straight into this, like sharing a friend. You don't like de deconstructing the, 
the episode that we just had. I noticed the last few episodes, you've just been real punchy into sponsorships and all that sort of stuff and then see ya. What sponsorships? What did you think about this episode? Listen, I, what, what have what I said you, about I want some thoughts on the episode. I'm saying share it to a friend. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like on the hold on, not episode. You're telling me off for trying to do a rub strand. <laughs> hey, man, honestly, I don't know if we need to have a chat offline or not, but I'm actually really trying to help the growth of our of our podcast and our show by explaining to people that we have an event coming up in Sydney and in Melbourne, and it actually goes a long way to help our show if people actually share it to a friend. So, without actually saying these things, people don't actually remember. So. Hey, if you actually if you work with a business partner like someone like Locke who wants to drag you down and you're just trying to do things that help help grow the business, I don't know what you can do. You've lost your mind. You've you lost made, your marbles. You, you pissed me. That. You pissed me off. You, you pissed me off. End. Anyway, hey, hey I was called turkey. No good. Uh, 